And what really kind of kicked this off, we had a member that, I had a couple of members that got our, our logo tattooed on them, like the Beard Club logo, and that's just <laughs> this huge compliment. We were like blown away, like, oh man, this is so cool. And it took us a while to figure out, you know, why that was. And I, you know, finally talked to one of them. I was like, hey, like, why, why would you do something like that? And he's like, well, to be honest, you know, I don't have a ton of confidence. I don't have, it's hard for me to go out and talk to people, but, you know, putting your products on made me feel like I was, uh, worth taking care of and it made me feel more confident it gave me an excuse to talk to other bearded guys and say hey have you seen the beard club videos and stuff so we really had this huge disconnect from what it actually was we're selling we're not selling beard beard oil we're selling like belonging we stand today the business method the business with method. a shadow. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their online and location-independent business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses and we are getting behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build businesses like this. On top of that, we also gather entrepreneurs at events and retreats around the world. This October, we are having our annual event in Thailand. Get shit done live. It's 10 days of high performance productivity, targeted collaboration, and rapid execution designed for entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done in a little amount of time. Some say it's like 10 months of work in 10 days. There's a magic that happens when brilliant minds come together to push one another towards productive execution. That is exactly what this retreat is about. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That is thebusinessmethod.com. Now, let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. Recurring revenue for a business is a hot topic these days. Everyone wants to learn optimal ways to have the extra monthly revenue coming in to help their business grow and also be able to provide more value for their customers. Alex Brown is an expert in the space and joins us to chat about how businesses can find ways to create recurring revenue and how entrepreneurs can grow their businesses. Alex is the co-founder of The Beard Club and together with his partner, they have grown the business from zero to 10 million revenue in year one. Their business absolutely exploded over the past few years, and Alex joins us to chat about creating subscription models, handling rapid growth, and of course, living the location-independent lifestyle. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Brown. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, I'm really excited to welcome Alex Brown to the show. Alex, we've been working hard at getting you on the podcast for like two months now and nobody's fault uh, but we just had to go back and forth one time I was sick and had to cancel one time you were traveling had to cancel but uh, as you mentioned that you that sometimes when it takes a long time to get together then the value is uh, higher because both of you have kind of worked hard to to finally have that meeting so welcome to the show man how are you today I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And, and like you said, I'm glad we could finally make this happen. We pushed the resistance. Ready to do this. I'm excited, man. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. Um, and one thing that I've, you know, being that it took us so long 
to to finally meet. One thing I, I actually learned more about you through that process, and I was uh, learned more um, of how much you are a digital nomad and some of the things that you went through and how it's really added value to your life, um, being location independent and being able to be in different spots around the world, but also how the businesses that you've built over time doing that and then invested in and now invite advising for. So we're going to talk about all that stuff. But um, I think I'll just start off like you're, I think, podcast number 98 of 100 podcasts for seven figure location independent entrepreneurs. And I'm curious, like what has that location independence meant for you? I mean, I, I've always loved travels. After I finished university, I just, you know, went backpacking. I've always taken every chance I get to travel. So seeing new things and experiencing new things really means the world to me. Um, and just to be able to do that, uh, as you know, sometimes it could be a little difficult staying grounded. But um, overall, I just I can't say enough good things about that experience. And I'm so grateful to live in a time where this is even possible. Um, and it's sort of mind boggling to think, uh, you know, I took a, a road trip through the desert with a new friend, um, I guess three days ago, instead of flying, I just kind of drove with her. And, uh, I was like, this is so cool that I can now work on my phone. I can experience all these new things. And, and, you know, a couple hundred years ago, that trip would have been deadly for the people <laughs> on it. And it took us, you know, 14 hours and we got through it. And now I'm in a totally different city. So being alive in this time when we can have this kind of freedom is just absolutely tremendous. Um, so I, you know, I can't say enough good things about it and except for as everyone listening, that's going through similar situations. Sometimes there are complications and details, which make it a little bit frustrating, but, um, overall, yeah, it means the world to me. Yeah. Sometimes I have to shake my head in dis in almost disbelief that there's, we're in different cities every week sometimes or flying to new countries and finding these amazing places and people not even a hundred years ago like even you know 40 years ago yeah. could hardly imagine this life was possible and i don't think like my you know the elder generation for like our parents have really even understood it yet you know they're like why we're just just hippies with a computer going around yeah <laughs> So how do you balance that? You say that sometimes like it's hard to maybe have those roots, but to keep that balance with this lifestyle, what are some of the things that work for you to make sure that you're keeping your balance and, and still keeping your head in the game, even though you have all these opportunities to go all these different places? Um, I mean, to be honest, I don't always do the best job of it. Sometimes I get a little overwhelmed. Um, but trying to keep a semblance of a routine, um, really helps me. The, the thing that's like been a really big constant in my life, I would say for the last 10 years, not, although I'm, you know, some sort of magnificent specimen has been, fi um, fitness, you know, so waking up, getting a workout in, or just like stretching, doing some movement. Um, that's been one of the really key kind of anchor things that no matter where I am and try and make it to a gym or do a little workout. Uh, at least a couple times a week because that for me just kind of, um, like I said, creates that anchor of like, hey, you know, this this still needs to be an important part of your life and you need to stay healthy. And um, so fitness has been really great for me uh, for that and just fitting that in wherever I can. Um, and just, you know, staying connected with family and friends and talking to them as much as I can here and there. Uh, it's interesting, like, you know, I, I grew up in Canada and moved away um, four years ago and lived in California before I went location independent. But, um, 
you know, something that, that I really learned was that when I do get time to talk to somebody or to, um, to spend time face to face with somebody, I, I put a lot more value on it now than I ever did. So I think in a way it's taught me to really like, um, you know, to value those relationships and kind of make them a little deeper and to prioritize keeping in touch because, you know, when I lived in my hometown, I would have people that were a 20 minute drive away that I wouldn't see, you know, every six months. And now I make a point of talking to them and, um, just sort of realize how important that is. So, um, I would say that's another big thing is just kind of staying in touch with people and, um, not letting it be like this thing where like I'm gone and I'll, I'll be back at this time and then maybe we can see each other then. Mm-hmm. Um, the most important people in my life I try and make time for and um, try and speak to whenever I can and just keep updated. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I find that like that limited amount of time with people forces quality time and, and maximizes yeah. it because you know it's going to end soon and then you're going to go, we're going to go off to some other place. Yep, absolutely. Let's talk business, man. Like uh, I'm impressed with the results that you've created. You built the Beard Club, you know, have an amazing subscription model and now are investing and advising in multiple businesses, um, working in the crypto industry and then helping other entrepreneurs learn about subscription hacks and grow their businesses. And I think that's incredibly impressive. How how did you get your start as an entrepreneur? Um, well, to be, I actually started out as an entrepreneur when I was like super young. My dad had a construction company, so I spent many summers working with him and started subcontracting and then kind of went out of my own around university. So I actually used entrepreneurship as a way to pay my way through college because I wanted to get a really well-paying corporate job. I thought when I graduate <laughs> from business school, I'd get you know, a $500,000 salary handed to me. And I wasn't that delusional. But, you know, I sort of... Um, I saw how hard my dad was working with entrepreneurship and I thought, you know, maybe I can get, you know, a different job at a a bank or something like that. Um, And then I graduated in 2008, right during like the big recession, right? So I couldn't get a job. None of my classmates could. So I kind of turned back to it because I I by then knew a trade. I knew how to hire people. I understood how to get work and, you know, kind of keep the cycle going. So um, at the same time, though, I found the construction industry was really difficult to get leverage in, and I knew it wasn't where I wanted to be. So I just started kind of like volunteering with startups. I started getting involved with like the local startup scene, and just you know, the problem I was having was I couldn't get a job because I didn't have the experience, couldn't get the experience without a job. So I just started doing the things that, you know, doing them, screwing them up, but figuring out how to be of value to different companies, and uh, spent some time in different startups. And then kind of got linked, I would say by chance, but I don't think that's really how it was, um, by fate to uh, my business partner with a lot of these ventures, Chris. Um, I was visiting California, visiting one of his friends, and we got linked together. He was this very creative, visionary sort of person, and I'm a little more tactical and operational of take an idea, break it into 10 steps. That, by the way, typically are the wrong steps, but you know, you take <laughs> one and two, and you realize, okay, now now I see where three, four, five should go. So... Um, we worked really well together, so we started launching different e-commerce products and, and doing mostly Indiegogos and Kickstarters for different products. Like we'd have an idea, we would go get it funded, um, then we would produce it, and for a lot of them, we knew that they weren't really big market potential uh, products or anything like that. But we were just sort of trying things and seeing what worked and seeing what didn't, um, and we got really good at launching things. So we started doing that for other people as an agency, doing their videos and photos and you know Kickstarter pages and marketing plans and stuff like that. Um, we had a bit of a breakthrough. We launched another product of our own called Coolbox, which is a smart tech toolbox 
like lights and speakers and sounds and um, all sorts of stuff like that. So that did really well. That was like a half million dollar campaign on Indiegogo. Um, it landed Chris on Shark Tank. Um, that's really where our network started to kind of explode and pick up. And Beard Club was this sort of really like an idea we were pursuing for fun at the time. We'd attracted another bunch of uh, bearded entrepreneurs. We were all growing beards. We were like trying to be natural and free, and you know, n- you know, sort of the it's not the standard definition of an entrepreneur. What you would think. Um, we were getting more into holistic health, and you know, not using chemicals on our bodies and stuff. So we just really wanted free beard oil. <laughs> so we started uh, <laughs> using these products. We're like hey, this is really cool, actually. There's this whole industry popping up of like men's facial care around beards and. We saw more and more companies coming out, and we just kind of were like, well, let's you know, do this ourselves. In one of the startup worlds I worked in, I did contract manufacturing consulting, so I understood how to work with contract manufacturers and get production set up and do quality control. So we just, you know, we built out a line of products. We used our connections and our as advisors to help us kind of get the word out, um, created this first video that, that went absolutely viral once we did launch it because of the different things that we'd learned. Um, it got picked up on like you know product hunt, and then Reddit was going crazy, and then it just hit every single major sort of business blog. And Beard Club was just sort of looked like an overnight success uh, for all of us, but we had all these other experiences that were just a grind trying to figure out like, you know, will this product work? No, it's not exciting, or it's not a good fit for the market. So um, it really is. It's kind of cool that it was this natural. Um, natural business that just kind of felt right and was just fun for us to do that ended up being the one that, um, you know, accelerated a lot of our learning. And even at that, like the, once we started going viral and we were getting subscribers like crazy, that's really when, um, we started learning because we screwed pretty much everything up. You can imagine like our website kept breaking, we had to change fulfillment, (laughs) we had to change, um, manufacturers. We had grew a lot of things very quickly and we were these, um, these guys in our you know, mid late twenties that had never run a high growth business and all of a sudden had a very high growth business that was doing exceptionally well without any of the systems in place to kind of manage that. So that was just like a, a tremendous, the first year and a half, especially it was just all hands on deck at all times <laughs> learning stuff. Um, but it was super fun. It was like, we made a lot of funny videos that people loved. We were able to participate in amazing experiences, like all these sports teams wanted to sponsor them because they finally had someone that was fun to work with as a sponsor and um, got to meet and work with athletes and celebrities and influencers. So um, I'm super grateful for that whole experience, uh, but I won't pretend like it wasn't a lot of work and a lot of screwing things up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's good to hear because, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are out there screwing things up on a daily basis and they don't always have either a partner to rely on or somebody say in their their ear, you know, it's, it's okay because you know, just keep failing forward faster and everybody's screwing up, you know, even Elon Musk is screwing up and and people at the top and Tim Ferriss and and they're just keep going afterwards. And I mean, that's uh, one of the things I love. You and I met in Croatia at the Baby Bathwater event and going to events with people that are doing really cool things and hearing them be vulnerable and telling their side of how like, hey, you know, this is what I screwed up and don't worry if you don't know what you're doing all the time because neither do we is so valuable just to get that validation of like cool everyone's always just figuring this out for themselves as they go um it's really easy to be hard on yourself otherwise yeah it's very true very true uh i want to go back to that decision alex you made to 
move from Toronto to California. I think I saw it on one of your videos. You were talking about that process, and I think your partner kind of gave you an ultimatum, if I remember correctly, where he said, you know, if you want to work together, you're going to have to move to California and move in a short period of time, like a couple of weeks, right? How'd that play out? I mean, so his sort of thing was like, you know, we we had a really great conversation by a fi- like a fire that night and, you know, probably several beers. But, um, <laughs> you know, him and I were just vibing so hard and I, I wasn't overly challenged or thrilled with where I was at. I was doing like little consulting things and he just kind of said like, hey, you know, like, here's your opportunity to move and be my business partner. It's like, you got to decide by the time you leave tomorrow, whether you're in or you're out. Wow. I already knew I was in, but I was kind of grateful he made me kind of face that reality because it's so easy to sink into thought of like, Hey, is this the right thing? Or like, you know, I don't want to, I have friends and family and I don't know if I want to go and do that, but it kind of forced me to be present with that decision and say like, Hey, if this is something that you're serious about, of course it's going to be scary as hell, but, um, make the decision and stick by it. And, uh, just go for it. So that was just kind of how it went. I knew that that night that I was going to do it. I flew home. I didn't tell. So it was, it was right around uh, my sister's birthday, and she had a big party the night I was back. So like <laughs> I saw all of my friends that night, and it was crazy because I knew I was moving, and I couldn't tell any of them because I didn't want to steal my sister's thunder at her birthday party. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of dropped the the ball like dropped the news and everyone the next week and like hey i'm i'm moving to california in a couple of weeks and um you know got the accelerated work visa on 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 the go so that we can make that happen and uh yeah just sort of looking back it's kind of crazy that it all happened but it was terrifying i have such a great group <laughs> of friends i love my family so much so just kind of like moving away felt like you know absolute craziness and i knew it was going to be a lot but now looking back, it's also kind of funny because I travel so much that like, you know, a five hour flight, California, to Toronto is nothing. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, right. I, you know, I'll, I'll travel places that are five hour flights for a couple of days routinely now. So, um, you know, my level of awareness wasn't then what it is now, though. So it was a pretty daunting decision to be making. What were those first few weeks like for you after the move? You know, what what was the experience that you were going through? Any thoughts about go- making the wrong decision? Or did you feel like you were right, right on the right track the whole time? I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I've never really felt that I'm on the right track. I'm always kind of questioning, <laughs> like, what am I doing? What do I want to be when I grow up? I'm glad um, you but said that. I think that, that's yeah. sort, of, sort of part of life. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, trying to figure out what you want to do. But um, it was really lonely at first because I moved down with um, – with people that I didn't really know that well. Um, so, you know, I was living with a couple of guys that I'd really only known for a couple of weeks. Um, so they were great friends and I really enjoyed spending time, but there's a lot of, a lot of times where I was like, man, like I just want to speak to someone I've known for more than a week, you yeah. know? And so I spent a lot of time on the phone. They had some great dogs and we've done this. So just be walking around. I also had a girlfriend at the time and, um, you know, eventually it didn't end up working out but we tried to make it work for a couple months so um, that was really difficult too being apart from her and um, so yeah it was it's a bit of a struggle adjusting to it but um, now it's sort of second nature being you know quote-unquote away from home um, and just kind of being out there and it's now what everyone has people are more surprised when I'm home than when I'm gone now you know (laughs) so run into somebody at the grocery store like oh you're back you know so, but now, now that, I mean, when was that that you moved to California? This would have been 
um, just over four years ago is August of 2014. Okay. And now you're kind of loosely based back in Toronto again? Yeah. So I kind of, I've been mostly anchored there. How this kind of all started was about 16 or 18 months ago. I was, I had a, we had a place in California together. My business partner, um, was in Australia and wanted to stay in Australia longer. We had a ranch together and he was like, Hey man, I'm probably going to be in California for a while. I knew I had to go to Canada for some weddings. I was going to Europe for a wedding and to travel. And so I was like, well, I don't want to pay rent on a place in California and not be here for three and a half, four months. Like, so I just kind of sold a bunch of my stuff that when I looked at it, I was like, I don't really even know what any of this is and I don't need it. So I'm <laughs> going to get rid of it and ship some stuff back to Canada. But I was like, cool, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to hit the road for four months and just see where this goes and spend some time at home in Europe, like I said, across the U.S. at different events. And um, I was kind of getting ready to, to go back to California. Um, and as I mentioned to you before, like, unfortunately, kind of out of nowhere, my father just got sick and passed away and he kind of held on and was in a coma for three weeks, but then unfortunately didn't make it. But the at that point, you know, I was able to be location independent. So I made the decision, Hey, I'm going to stay here till Christmas. This is actually a year ago. Yesterday he passed away, but I'm going to stay until Christmas and then, you know, make sure everything's okay here. So it, I was so grateful for that opportunity to be able to, you know, still be working and still doing things, but also be at home with my mom and my sister and take care of everything that needed to be taken care of. And so since then, I still haven't really figured out where that next home base is going to be. But um, you know, like right now I'm in the midst of a three and a half week road trip for three different events and different meetings, um, things that I'm speaking at and places I'm going. So, you know, I'm still very much like nomadic, but I, at least I would say like, you know, three to 10 days a month, I, I spend home in Toronto with my family. Um, so it, it's super cool to be able to, when I do come to a place, it's actually home. Um, and you know, we're not far from the airport, so it's it's not really inconvenient to get much of anywhere. Unless you're going to, say, Thailand from Toronto. It's quite quite a long flight. But um, for the most part, you know, California is five hours. Go over to the U.K. and England is six hours or eight hours, whatever. So um, it's been a cool kind of uh, home base. And, yeah, I, I can't explain how grateful I am to be able to be there with my mom and develop a really strong relationship through her with, you know, this tremendous loss that we're both going through because of the opportunity to be location independent. So it's just a huge blessing in my life and I'm grateful for it every day. Yeah. I, I think that that reason right there is absolutely the most important reason, um, for something like location independence, because, uh, you, you have these opportunities to spend an, an extended period of time around people, um, when they need it. And I couldn't imagine like if, if something happened in family or like I had a good friend, his, his wife passed away almost instantly from a brain aneurysm. And like, I had the opportunity to go back and spend weeks and months with him cause he was a best friend from college, mm -hmm. uh, immediately. Right. And I was on the plane yeah. as soon as I heard it and I spent three weeks with him and then I left and then he you know, needed me to come back. So I came back and spent a few months with him. It just because I had that freedom and, and to argue with a boss about, um, going home and, and spending that time with your father and mother family through hard times, like that's incomprehensible for me. Like just not something that I would ever allow in my life. You know, I'd be like, whatever, I quit the yeah. job. I've got to spend time with family. But that's, I think the most powerful motivator and aspect of it. it's such a incredible, opportunity to have to do that 
let's uh, let's talk a little bit. I know you're big into subscription models, and you've done really well with the Beard Club and some other businesses. And you recently wrote an article, um, 13 Ways to Add Reoccurring Subscription Revenue to Your Business. And I know all entrepreneurs are looking for more ways to add some reoccurring revenue. Uh, what are some of those ways that you talked about, some of the ones that have worked best for you? And uh, maybe any other hidden places or gems that you could suggest to fellow entrepreneurs about creating reoccurring revenue in their businesses? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge topic, um, and it's something that I get asked about a lot. But um, there's lots of different types. Um, with the Beard Club, we're uh, you know, a physical product business, so we ship monthly product for, um, for our recurring revenue part of the business. But you know, we've given a lot of thought recently into um, – experimenting with the models and this is kind of where the idea for that article came from was just sort of like hey like what could we possibly do to add new revenue that is tied to the business without products because um, I know a lot of people listening might have physical product um, businesses and and as they know it kind of sucks making something paying for it and then shipping it and like all the different intricacies of that so I really started to get into more of like a content focused model with premium content for our members um, having like you know a gated subscription, sort of like Amazon Prime style, where people would pay, say, fifty dollars a year for their Beard Club subscription, and everything's free delivery. Or I think there's just a lot of different ways that people, you know, if they're in one kind, even if they're in one kind of subscription business, to add um, different types on top of that. Um, I, I'm in love with the information space. That's kind of what I've been dabbling in recently because um, you don't have to pay for something and then ship it to someone, which is really, really expensive and time consuming. And there's, uh, there's a lot of crap involved with it. But, um, so adding, you know, information products to our physical product services, um, is a huge focus of us right now of how we can kind of pull it off and, um, you know, make it work a little better. But even if you have like, you know, a subscription service that's based on physical products, like to have, like I said, the priority sort of style service where you're, you know, a beard club black member, we might call it, um, to pay that extra fee per year to get exclusive products and exclusive offers. And um, there's lots of different ways that you can add subscription revenue. And some companies can add two or three different ways. And one might work and two might not. Um, I think it's just like overall, like in business, I've found experimentations like been the only way that we um, seem to find out the right way, just, you know, testing and iteration and, um, kind of putting our attention into what seems to be working most, but also keeping an open mind to what might, you know, be working in the future or what might be a good thing to add into the future. What are some, some of the info products that you guys started to create? You started the physical products first, right? And then started implementing some info. So what, where did those ideas come from and what were those? Um, so I, that's something that I've been working on pretty passionately and in kind of in the back scene. So I don't do day to day stuff with beard club anymore. Just, um, you know, help out with strategy and direction and stuff where needed. Uh, we have an amazing executive team that we hired, but um, we have this incredible tribe that we've built with Beard Club, and we have a ton of amazing like influencers and celebrities that want to kind of access to um, the audience that we're able to command with our messaging. So um, there's different things that we're working on right now and experimenting with, but basically having content that's focused in areas that men would be interested in, like dating and relationships, survival skills, you know, business and entrepreneurship, um, fitness. So kind of having these different modules that would be time released. So say if someone's a Beard Club member and they're buying products in month one, 
um, you know, they would be entered into this sort of drip content. Every month they start getting access to more and more content. So uh, that's not actually a revenue-driven objective, we don't think, uh, in terms of like we're not going to ask people to pay for that. Um, but it's, it's, an or, sorry, it's an opportunity for us to keep communicating with members that, say, might not have built, which is very realistic, not have built a habit uh, of using beard care products every single day, so they stack a bit too much up, right? So they they want to pause their subscription or cancel it or whatever that may be, not because they're unhappy, they just have too much product, right? So if we're then kind of releasing more and more content through a platform to them of like, hey, here's some more fitness content, here's some more of this, it's more or less an opportunity for us to continue to to interact with them, to continue to add value for them, and to keep top of mind. So you know, we're not just simply trying to get them to subscribe for three months instead of two. It's how do we talk to them for the next year and be someone that they trust, which then offers or opens up opportunities to do affiliate offers and stuff. We've never done any of that, and we're just starting to get into kind of both sides of the affiliate game, but our website wasn't really in a position to do that before. But to have the attention, trust, and loyalty of people um, on a long timeline is something that's really valuable to somebody who might potentially want to acquire us as well. Um, you know, consumer products brand that um, doesn't really have that connection with their customers and doesn't have that attention, trust, and loyalty. You know, having uh, you know a membership style platform, a member's experience on the back end of that is uh, is hugely hugely valuable. And that's something that we really did screw up from the get go. We built this club, but it was really transactional based, and there wasn't really actually a membership component to it with membership benefits. So we started to think, hey, like we really need to invest some some time and money into figuring out how to create an actual membership for our members and what that looks like and the ways to monetize it and the ways to add value for them. So for us, it's still like there's still very much an iterative and ongoing process into how we're going to launch this. But uh, we realize the opportunity we have um, just having such great content and having people trust us already. It's how do we extend that lifetime of trust and, um, you know, have that be a huge contributing factor to lifetime value for our customers. Have you found some some answers or some most important aspects of of maintaining that attention and that trust and that loyalty with your members? What are like the core uh, principles or things that you focus on to continue that? Um, to be honest, it's been again like in a discovery process for us. And what really kind of kicked this off, we had a member that had a couple of members that got our, our logo tattooed on them, like the Beard Club logo, and that's just <laughs> this huge compliment. We were like blown away, like, oh man, this is so cool. And it took us a while to figure out um, you know, why that was. And I, you know, finally talked to one of them. I was like, hey, like, why why would you do something like that? And he's like, Well, to be honest, you know, I don't have a ton of confidence. I don't have it's hard for me to go out and talk to people, but you know, putting your products on made me feel like I was uh, worth taking care of and it made me feel more confident it gave me an excuse to talk to other bearded guys and say hey have you seen the beard club videos and stuff so we really had this huge disconnect from what it actually was we're selling we're not selling beard beard oil we're selling like belonging and mm. um, confidence and stuff so um, really kind of speaking with our members and trying to figure out what that offering could and should be has been kind of our, our big priority in the last couple months is trying to figure out you know how to craft a really meaningful and valuable experience for people based on the reasons that they're connecting with us in the first place, which we were completely, um, I, I don't want to say oblivious to because we sort of inherently knew it, but like we weren't really taking that seriously of why people are actually buyer stuff. And I think um, it's really easy for a lot of people when they're running their businesses, entrepreneurs running their businesses to get really disconnected from what they're actually selling. But it's it's so cool when you make that connection, you're like, oh, I get it. 
You know, people don't want essential oils. They want to feel good about themselves and they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. So knowing that and thinking about some of the challenges that you guys have had growing this business, is there anything, uh, is there some things that you might have done differently earlier in the business? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, we were very transactionally focused. Um, we ran into a ton of customer service issues because we did grow so fast. So, you know, we would have boxes going out late. Um, and really, I think our biggest mistake was not putting enough of a priority on creating that customer experience and that sort of like onboarding, um, bringing them into the tribe sort of thing. We, we knew we were doing a great job with our videos because people were sticking around despite us screwing everything up and <laughs> screwing all the orders and stuff. And, you know, we were growing and, and everything like that. But, um, you know, imagine if every customer you had just went and brought one of their friends and you would double their business. You would double your business, right? So really prioritizing the people that are already on board and already buying your product and, and creating uh, an experience for them was something that was sort of an afterthought for us because we were so stoked about how many people were signing up that we weren't really looking at, you know, the people who were leaving and why and how do we prevent that sort of churn. So. Um, the biggest takeaway that that we had was, you know, making sure that we're creating that customer experience and reducing churn because uh, it's so much more expensive to go get new customers than it is to keep the existing ones happy and turn them into advocates. Yeah. Do you do you guys have different tiers in your membership? We don't. All of our all of our products are just you know subscription based products, right? So we have one time items actually too, but um, we don't have like you know a prime tier or anything like that. That's that's really what we've been tossing around with in terms of like switching things up and can we create that Amazon prime style membership? Um, but right now it's just, you know, whatever product you have, that's your subscription. You go in and change it and customize it every time. Another huge breakthrough for us is being able to do kits because we had this process where people would come and go through like five different steps of pick this product. No, you don't want anything from your skip, pick from these skip, whatever. So, um, it ended up with a lot of custom order combinations, but, we figured out what the main combinations were that people were ordering and started to kind of remove some of that friction and we were sending people to landing pages with just those kits. Especially someone that had never used beard products, you send them through like a checkout process that has 20 of them, they have no idea what they're even looking for, right? So <laughs> yeah. make it simple and make it easy. That was, a, that was a huge breakthrough for us as well that helped us you know, with our conversions a, a, a massive amount. So through the process of creating um, monthly recurring revenue and subscriptions, if you were talking to just a general entrepreneurial audience, like speaking to one, what are some suggestions you could give them for finding ways to create a subscription-style business for their businesses, generally speaking? Um, I think that, um, like I said, I think there's multiple options for any given business. I think like... Um, it's tough to, to answer for, yeah, I guess, like a, a really general audience. I think like really just brainstorming what is, is valuable and what, what people, what your target customers would find valuable will give you a lot better idea of what you could potentially offer them. Um, and just kind of going through and thinking of the different types. Okay, if we could sell them content, would it be like, you know, regularly re released content or would it be like an archive, sort of like, you know, a Netflix kind of thing where you just have access to the archive, um, maybe courses or instructional products, um, or maybe, you know, somebody is in software or in, um, you know, the publishing space and they have products that could be really useful to people. Um, to start a subscription on that side is a little more um, capital intensive, but 
if you have an audience and you can start to ask and test and figure out what they really want or try and understand what they really want, um, then you can probably come up with two or three answers that might work very well. What are some ways that you stay on top of, quote unquote, the game for your guys' businesses that you run? How do you constantly, what are the strategies you use to stay focused, to to maintain and make sure the business is going to be stay sustainable and grow in the future? Um, I would say the number one is just having an amazing team um, that are all super devoted to learning and understanding new things. Um, so like the team for us has been amazing. Like I said, I, I don't do very much in the day to day whatsoever. We have an amazing executive team that we hired who quite frankly are a lot smarter than I am. And I don't have any problem saying that. <laughs> um, so like hiring great people has been amazing. Um, but also I, you know, I, I do go to a lot of events. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming. You get a bit too much information, but yeah. going to events, learning new things and, um, Getting connected with the right people who are doing badass things, though, has been super helpful because someone can say one thing to you that changes your whole perspective based on their experience. That can make, you know, whatever it is, a thousand dollar, a five thousand dollar event. You know, that one like shift of somebody that's doing something cool in your space or a related space. Um, learning from other people has been a huge help for me and for I think for most entrepreneurs really. I think it's pretty common for us to go to events and be overwhelmed with new ideas. Um, yeah. What are some ways that you weed those ideas out and make sure that you've picked the right ones? Um, I think really it's kind of, uh, some of them are just kind of inherently known as, as new ideas. Sometimes though, like, you know, when I'm at an event and it's a three day event, I'll make sure I'm prioritizing like the, um, the sessions that I actually do want to go to versus ones that I don't necessarily need to be at. And I'm pretty good at kind of picking and choosing. Sometimes you, um, you have awesome sessions that you didn't realize were going to be awesome. Um, but for the most part, if I look at something, I'm like not 100% like all in. I need to see this. Then I'll give myself that space and just go and catch up on my phone or just go outside and um, you know, not feel pressured to be in every single session at every single event. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a really good suggestion and one that I've been implementing quite recently over the past year and a half or so. Um, Alex, I know you're kind of moving into uh, subscription hacks and really helping people grow their their businesses using subscription models. Is there anything you want to talk about subscription hacks or or tell us about the business and what you guys are up to? Um, well, to be honest, it, it's kind of one of those uh, iterative and testing things in itself. Um, I'm looking to uh, rebrand subscription hacks itself in the fall. Um, sorry, I guess it is the fall. Um, so like fall, <laughs> winter this year. Yeah. Um, because like, you know, I, I'm, I'm most well known for subscription, but a lot of the stuff that I've been helping companies out with, um, and created this subscription hacks course is completely applicable to non-subscription e-commerce products as well. So, um, I'm not as familiar in the, you know, information subscription space. So like I sort of get confused for somebody who might be able to help them build an amazing like online course. Whereas I did just build an online course from scratch, but I had no idea was that what I was doing. So one of those ironic times where you're like, cool, I'm going to hop into this because I'm really excited about helping other people. And then you realize, oh, wow, I need a lot of help because I don't know how to do this. But um, really, my focus is helping e-commerce companies that um, want to sell more products online through new channels. Um, that's kind of like, I guess, the brunt of the experience that I've got over the last three years. And it's super rewarding helping people avoid the same mistakes that I did. So um I'll be relaunching it under a new name in the next couple of months, the course that I created. But 
I'm really excited about launching an accelerator program. I'm doing the first cohort this fall um, and doing like a 30-day sort of hands-on with six companies, um, taking them through everything from, you know, the sort of like the mindset and ideation around business into analytics, data, and metrics, knowing like what your business is all about, and then for three weeks going through everything from fulfillment, operations, acquisition, retention plans, um, and figuring out what it is I need to do to build like one of the best accelerator programs um, that's out there. So that's kind of the next step for me is kind of head down, uh, figuring out how this um, this process can work, and then next year doing it with a much broader audience, more companies, um, and just bringing in more and more experts to help people out. I've just been upset. I've always wanted to own an accelerator program, and uh, so I kind of already have that. But um, yeah, I'm excited to do this first run through this fall and then really get things cracking. Um, and it's going to be a huge learning process for myself. It's it's interesting, like, you know, talking to people about it, I'm like, hey, you know, the, the companies that are involved, like, hey, this is what we're going to be doing. And then people ask a question. I'm like, to be honest, I don't really know how that's going to work out yet because I haven't done it. But I'm going to figure it out along the way. And um, it's kind of a process that uh, I've learned as an entrepreneur, you need to be willing to be flexible with things and be ready to pivot because sometimes you think the best way to help a company is actually not the best way at all, and it's the way you would have helped yourself, but everybody learns different, everybody is different, so it's kind of the, the I'm reinventing myself yet again, I guess you would say. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Do you know the name of the the new business? I'm going to call it Sexy Nerd E-Commerce. Uh, um, okay. It's kind of this, this, this matrix that I developed where there's the sexy parts of the business, um, which are like, you know, your branding, your content, your customer experience, your membership experience, and the more nerdy parts, which is where I've spent a ton of my time too, is like, you know, the operations, fulfillment, finance, and then like, you know, marketing optimization and conversion rate optimization. And really the only way, way to build a scalable e-commerce business is if you're a sexy nerd, if you're doing all the branding stuff, but you also have all of your numbers and all of your optimization stuff. And I think I've been caught in different quadrants, two focus in different quadrants, and that's the reason why our companies haven't scaled in the past. And then the more we're able to focus on all four of those kind of different areas, the sexy and the nerdy, um, the better off we are. So that's kind of the the positioning that I like to take is, uh, and I think it's kind of a catchy name. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> so one more question, and I'm going to ask you the same question that we've asked most of the entrepreneurs that have come on the show. For you, um, what do you feel the difference is between the five-figure, six-figure, seven-figure, and eight-figure mindsets as an entrepreneur? Um, in my personal experience, it's been um, – it really has been the – like. I guess the best way to say it is like my own perception of my self-worth and whether or not I'm, I'm worthy of being at that level. Um, and I've certainly surprised myself and done better than I thought I was going to do. But I found the better state that I'm in uh, with my confidence and with who I am as a person and just like with what I'm learning. And most importantly, like the embracing of the entrepreneurial journey and not constantly trying to be at the destination. Whenever I become more confident in the journey and more comfortable within that journey, um, the more leaps and bounds I do because I don't have these completely unfair expectations of, for me to get from here to there, I need to do all this leveling up and all this stuff. It's like, well, no, like that, that is the journey. And that is how you get from seven to eight is by actually just doing that and being okay with that and not thinking that you're not there yet. If that makes any sense, you know, it's, it's being present within that journey and not being so focused on it needing to be over. 
That's a, that's a good, I think that's a really good point, but it's difficult to do. So could you explain a little bit like how you manage that? Because even myself, a lot of times I'm like, oh, I'm ready to have $10 million in my bank account so I can just take yeah. a, a big long nap for six months. Um, well, it's, uh, it's, I think it's a process. Like we all go through it. Absolutely. So I, I wish I could say I had, um, I had all the answers because if I did, I'd probably sell an online course and make $10 million. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, for me, it's been surrounding myself with good people that have allowed me to, um, to kind of reflect on, on what I've done so far and not necessarily with just praise, but just support of being like, Hey, you know, holding up the mirror in front of my face and, and hearing, like allowing me to say what I already know. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure if you met Jesse Elder yeah. at um, Big Bathwater. Jesse's been such a fantastic person helping keeping me anchored and keeping me present. So having amazing people in your life that are going through similar things or have gone through similar things and allow you to be a little easier on yourself for me has been huge. Um, and I try and do a lot of like journaling and reflection um, and just kind of, you know, when things are going bad, just say, hey, like there's a reason – that this is happening and it's going to create a lot of really positive growth in you and a lot of really positive change. So, um, doing journaling and then as, as much as I can getting out to those events and those opportunities to hang out with those people, yeah. um, that really help you level up just brings me back to that frequency of like, okay, this is a process. And I've, I've got some amazing like mentors, like I'm not sure if you met Ron Lynch oh, yeah. on the island. Uh, Ron is just such a fantastic guy. I just stayed at his house in Austin for a week and, I was talking about some of my frustrations with where I'm at and where I want to be. And he's like, how do you think I feel? I'm going through the same stuff and I'm in my fifties. He's like, (laughs) relax kid. Like, you know, don't, don't take this too seriously. It's going to be like this for the rest. This is the path that you chose. So, you know, having mentors and friends that are on the same journey and at different points, um, is a great reflection to see. And, uh, just to realize that everything is okay. It always has been and always will be. And don't be so damn hard on yourself all the time. (laughs) <laughs> That's a really great way to see it. Um, Jesse's podcast interview is being released two days after yours. Just so you oh, know. Oh, man. So, yeah, we had him on the show. An amazing, amazing guy. And I feel the same way about Jesse as you do. Like, whew, uh, such a great guy to be spend time around. I'm, I'm glad you got to interview him because I, I think that he, in the next, I, I'm not even sure how many years, he's going to be a really, really big public fi- figure for, yeah. for many, many important reasons because the messages is that, he, that he has and you know the, the hard times that he's helped me through with my dad and without him even really knowing how much it means, um, I'm stoked that you have him. And uh, if anyone that's uh, listening to this is even contemplating listening to that episode, you definitely have to. <laughs> it's a good plug for the next show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, um, Alex, we're going to wrap up there. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? Um, probably the best place to connect is on my website, thealexbrown.com, which I know sounds a little pretentious, but there was already an alexbrown.com taken, so I'd <laughs> kick it up a notch. Yeah. Um, and you can get me info at thealexbrown.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. And uh, any friend of yours is a friend of mine, Chris. Thanks, buddy. Really appreciate it. And thanks again for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure um, chatting with you finally after two months of going back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> Good things take time sometimes. Yeah, so safe travels um, in the, over the next year. And I'll be in Croatia next summer for sure. I'm already booked and ready to go. So, So I hope to see you there. 
And we'll uh, see you then or sooner. Yes. Uh, so we're going to wrap up there. Thanks again, Alex. Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our annual Get Shit Done live retreat in Thailand. Both are designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done rapidly. And whether you need some personal coaching while working away at home or a retreat in Thailand where you can get out of your normal routine and surround yourself with other successful entrepreneurs, we have those options for you. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com and we'll see you on the next podcast.